This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. So uh, if you were here on September 9th when we had our first official service, uh, then you got to participate and celebrate with us uh, in baptism. Um, Baptism is, uh, it's a picture of what Christ has done to to take someone and make them new, um, that their sins are forgiven, and in Christ they are a new creation. And and the the Bible tells us to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So declaring publicly uh, that we are following after Christ. And so that's what baptism is. It's a celebration, and it's a picture. Uh, The next time we're going to have baptisms is a week from today, next Sunday. Uh, and so, if you've never been baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to invite you to explore that. If you just have questions about what is baptism, uh, maybe I was baptized at one point, I don't know why, what does it mean? Uh, we would just love to talk more with you about that. Uh, definitely, we want you to come and celebrate. Uh, it is a time of, of public celebration, and so please, if you're in town, come join and celebrate uh, with us in, in baptisms. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there, um, pull it up on your, your app if you go the technological way. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some outside the door. Uh, you, don't have to, you could go get it now, but just so you know as you come in, anytime you can grab one of those Bibles. If you don't own one, um, on the way out, take it home with you. Have it with you. If you have a, a roommate or a friend who doesn't have one, take it and give it away. Uh, we just want people to have the Word of God. Um, our, our words are going to be faulty. Our thoughts are going to fall short. The Word of God never falls short. It always stands true and remains. Uh, and so we want people to have uh, these words. So Genesis chapter 1, or 3, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's a key point because God didn't actually say that. Um, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing that the tree was good for food. Or, sorry, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask him to speak to us through it. God, we believe these are your words, that you inspired them through the pen of, of Moses, through his writing, and you speak to us today through these words. And so God, would you allow us to hear your voice? Would you move out the other distractions and voices that we we might be hearing right now. Would you let us hear from you? 
God, let us taste and see how good you are. That even in the garden when things were broken, your grace appeared. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So this is week three of a series called The Story, walking through the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. A lot happens in the first two chapters uh, of, the, of the Bible. In chapters one and two, you've got the creation narrative. Chapter one is more of like a big picture overview, and then chapter two kind of zooms in on the lens to look more specifically at just Adam and Eve. So if you're ever wondering, like, why are there two chapters about creation? One is more of a big picture. Chapter two is a more focus on just Adam and Eve. But it says that the, in chapter one, verse one, if you want to look back, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was God. He always has been, always will be. Psalm 90 verse 2 says that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and in the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the beginning was God, perfect and holy and set apart and majestic and powerful and mighty. There's no one like our God. None compares to who God is. And then in verse 26, we see kind of the crescendo, the, the pinnacle of the song of creation, right? The, the, the tempo changes when we get to verse 26 as God begins to create man, Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In the very beginning, God created man and woman, same but different. Before anything was wrong, God speaks into existence diversity. He wants people who will interact, who are different from each other, but can love one another just as God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are different yet are one and united and love each other as one. And so God speaks into creation, man and woman, and he creates mankind in his image. The only thing in all of the world, in all of creation, that was made in the image of God was man, Adam and Eve. Given the responsibility, given the purpose to reflect God's image with their lives and to make his ways known to the world. That's what it means to have dominion. It's to, it's to rule as God would rule. It's to make his ways known in the world in the ways that God would make his ways known. And so that's our purpose. Today, right now, you and me, our purpose is to reflect God with our lives and to make his ways known to all people in all places. That's why we're here. At the end of chapter one uh, and at the end of chapter two, we see that God's creation was good. And not just good, it was very good. So look at verse 31 of chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It, it was perfect. It was incredible. Nothing was wrong. And then in chapter 2, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This has a far more to do with clothing or non-clothing. This has everything to do with they were in the most vulnerable position possible, and there was no shame. There was no guilt there was no insecurity. There was no fear. There was no, how does this person perceive me? How do I posture myself in order to look better? It was perfect. Their relationship with one another, perfect. Their relationship with God, perfect. Everything was good. But you and I sit here today, and, and no doubt, every one of us, 100% of us, and every person in this city and the world knows that things aren't very good, right? Like we don't go a day where we don't run into something and think, that wasn't so good. So what has gone wrong? 
What has broken? Have you ever had a moment where like you just wanted a redo in life? Like you just wish that you could go back and completely do something different. One of those moments where you just kind of look up and you're like, I don't know how I got here. Like what have I, what have I done? And you would give anything just to go back and do it, do it differently. I remember um, for me in middle school uh, that um, my, my most important thing for me in middle school was my reputation, was how people thought of me, if I was approved by them, if I fit in or not. Uh, and so in middle school, uh, I start making decisions um, based on how I think I can improve my, my popularity. I came to the middle school dance here uh, last Friday with Michaela, and, and um, that still happens today very much um, among middle schoolers, is this posturing to figure out like where you fit um, in the social order, right? And, and that was the biggest deal for me. And so with that, I started doing what I thought was I was supposed to do to be cool and to, be, to fit in. Um, one of those was I would push others down in order to lift myself up, in order to be what I thought was cool. Um, and so there was one kid in particular, his name was Prescott, and uh, he was oftentimes the target of, um, I don't know that I would have called it then, but I would definitely call it now bullying. Me and my buddies, we would just bully him, and, we would just, and, and just verbally, and we'd just ridicule him um, and, and make him feel insecure, and really because we were insecure, um, we were trying to make ourselves feel better. Um, and I remember one day we were walking uh, to our next class. It was kind of this outdoor alleyway, and he kind of turned the corner in front of us, and there was four of us, and we all just kind of said, look, there's Prescott, get him, and we took off after him, and, and he looked back, and the fear in his face when four guys were chasing him, um, and he just took off running, just bolted. And, and, and you know, he, he ran off and then went to my next class, and about 15 minutes in, uh, an assistant comes in with a note, and the teacher's like, Corey, uh, Mr. Edwards wants to talk to you in the office. Um, and immediately, gosh, my heart starts racing, um, and I'm just thinking, what have I done? Like, if I, could just, if I could just rewind it 30 minutes, right? Like, and, and, and so whether it's a middle school memory for you or it's last night or it's a month ago or, or a year ago or whatever it is, like we all have those moments where like, oh, dear Lord, if I could just do that again, I would just erase that from the history of my life. And the reason you have those moments, the reason I have those moments starts here in Genesis chapter three. The, the, the pinnacle of what have we done? The brokenness that comes from there, it, it's what affects us today. We live in a broken world. We're broken people making broken decisions, which is why we have those moments where we think, gosh, I just want to redo. I just want to do that over. But the good news of the Bible, even in Genesis 3, is that God doesn't leave it this way. There is hope. We, we do get a redo. We do get a fresh start. So let's look in Genesis 3, and let's see what happened, and let's, let's see where the grace of God, even now, comes in. So back to verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, right? Everything was good, everything was perfect, no shame, no insecurity, no guilt. And then verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the Bible doesn't name the serpent here as the devil, but Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, makes it known that the ancient ser serpent, the devil, was the deceiver in this moment. And, and so you have the devil here, and, and there's some pieces that we don't fully know what happened between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.1. Like, there's some gaps that we're not privileged to in knowing what all happened, 
But the Bible points to this cosmic attempt at a rebellion between Satan and some other angels. And their heart was, was the devil wanted to be God. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to call the shots. And so they organized this cosmic rebellion, but there's no God like God. You're not taking him off his throne. Like we might try, um, but we're not going to remove God from his position. He's got that locked down. And so Satan tries to overthrow God, and God casts him out of heaven for all of eternity, along with a certain number of angels. And so where that happened exactly, not totally sure. But at some point, you now have Satan on earth, and the reason this matters to you and to me is I think a lot of times we, like we, we just imagine the devil as like this character in a red costume with a, with a, with a pitchfork and a pointy tail, and we, we forget that there is an active enemy. John 10.10 10 says, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy your life. The devil is still opposed to God. And if he can't get God, He's going to go after God's prized creation. You and me, mankind, made in his image. If he can't get the real deal, he'll go for the image. And I think we just forget that there's an active enemy right here, right now, in 2018 in Austin, Texas. There is an enemy seeking to destroy. 1 Peter 5, it says that he is a, a, a lion seeking to devour. In Genesis 4, with Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, you see that sin, it says, is at the doorstep, just waiting, crouching, waiting to attack. I think we just forget that there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. And we see that he's here in chapter 3, verse 1. One thing I've learned about the enemy that I think is important to know is he's patient. He's a deceiver. He's crafty. And so he's okay if, if your life isn't destroyed today, but if he can get you compromising just a little bit, He's looking down at that 10, 15, 20 years down the road where there's going to be an epic crash because his purpose is to destroy. We have to be on guard. We have to know that this is real and that he's there. And so the serpent is there, and he said to the woman, um, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said, we may eat of, any, of the fruit, but, um, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst, and you shall not touch it lest you die. And the serpent said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took and she ate. This is where everything falls apart. This is where everything falls apart, and not because they ate fruit, God's not like checking the fruit that we're eating, making sure that it's, you know, good fruit or bad fruit. It's because they trusted themselves rather than trusting God. This is where everything breaks apart. Now, I want us to see the progression that happens here for, for Adam and Eve because it's the same progression into sin that you and I face with today. And so it starts with the mind. It's first a doubting in the mind, questioning, I don't know, maybe God's not so good. And then it moves to a believing in the heart. Then, no, God's not good. My way is better. And then it moves to the hands, the action. It starts in the mind, then it moves to the heart. And once the temptation hits our heart, once our desires are for something, it's a really easy step to our hands. We do what we love. 
We do what we love, but it starts in the mind. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, um, one of the biggest churches in our country, recently did a sermon, and he said, the life we live is a direct result of the thoughts we think. What we do with our lives starts with what we think in our minds. If we want to change what we do, we have to change what we think. I mean, think about it. What do you think about most? What thoughts consume you more often than, than not? School, finances, relationships, career. I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you have a, a certain level of affection and desire towards those things and that your hands are actively pursuing and doing something with those things that you think about the most. Because what we think about the most is what moves into our lives. And so here's the progression. First, the enemy says, hey, Eve, now nah, maybe, maybe God's not good. Starts getting her mind thinking otherwise. Then it's a shift to the heart, believing that God's not good. And then it's the hands. The first thing is the doubt in the mind, right? Verse 2 and 3. Did God actually say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say that you, don't have, that you have to submit your whole life to him? Did God actually say that you're supposed to submit your sexuality to him? Like, did God really mean when he said, don't get drunk on wine, to not get drunk on, on like, did he really mean that? Maybe it was, a, maybe he meant this. And he just wants us doubting and, and questioning and entertaining the idea, the temptation that ah, maybe that way is better. It starts with our mind and with our doubts. Now, now, the problem here for Eve is not that she doubted. Doubts are not wrong in and of themselves, right? Remember at, at the Great Commission, we talked about this a few weeks back, Jesus is risen from the dead. He shows up to his disciples. They gather to worship him, but some doubted. They're standing face to face with the risen Jesus, and some doubted. And Jesus wasn't like, hey, what's your problem, man? Like, quit doubting, quit having questions, right? Doubts are not the problem. It's okay to have questions and doubts. God meets us in the middle of our questions and doubts. Where Eve went wrong with this is that she entertained the conversation, right? The temptation shows up, and instead of just being like, hey, I'm not, I'm not about this. Like, I'm trusting God. His word says this. I'm out. Peace. Like, she entertains the conversation. Like, huh, you know, God, God said this, and then she, she slightly twists his words, and she's, she's trying to play with fire and not get burned. She's trying to entertain the conversation with the temptation, with the tempter, and not get burned. One of my favorite Proverbs in the Bible, Proverbs six twenty seven: Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Modern day translation, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. She, she's trying to entertain this conversation with the tempter. Like she can handle it. Like, she, you know, it's okay. Let's just, let's just consider. Let's just see how close to the edge we can get. Let's just see how, how close we can get without actually stepping over the line. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over and over again, flee from youthful lusts. Flee from temptation. Like, don't just like... I don't know, man, like, get out of there. That's what we see with Joseph. Jo Joseph is, is working at Potiphar's house, man, he's worked his way up, and Potiphar's wife comes up, is like, hey, Joseph, what do you think, man? Nobody's got to know about this, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming based on what we see in the text, that Joseph, man, he, he's a young buck, like, he's a handsome dude, and he's never been with a woman, like, I imagine that temptation was, was intense. No one's got to know about this. She's coming to him, 
Like he's not seeking it out. She's coming to him. Nobody's got to know. And so rather than thinking like, no, I'm good. I can handle this. I can play with fire and not get burned. Flees out of the house, runs away from temptation. That's how we have to treat this. And yet Eve is like, I can, we can have this conversation. Let's talk. Sit down, Satan. Let's talk about this. Like maybe, I don't know. What temptations are you trying to toe the line with that you know you just need to get out? What temptations do you think that you can play with fire and not get burned? What, what conversations, what doubts about God's goodness do you feel like you can handle on your own and you don't need to take off with? Feel like you can be in that environment with your boyfriend and girlfriend and just keep playing with fire and not get burned? You, you can go to the party and I'm not going to drink this time. I'm, I'm, I'm above that. And eventually it's not going to catch up with you. That, that you, can, you can click on the, on the computer when no one else is around and, and not have your, your safeguards in place and your buddies. Walk. Like how, how many times do we just try to entertain the conversation? The temptation itself is not the problem. Where it starts to go bad is that she entertains the conversation. She just flirts around with temptation. Now, we are not that strong. We're going to fall. What temptations are in your life today that you need to leave here and cut off and flee and get away? That's where it goes south for her. That's where it oftentimes goes south for us. We just want to tw tweak one word here or there. Right? God didn't fully mean that. Like, he probably meant that 90% of the time, but this is probably okay. It's, you know, it's, I'm celebrating, right? It's okay. It's a unique circumstance. That's what he wants us to start with. And we've got to flee. We've got to get out of there. It starts with our mind. It starts here. And that starts to set pathways to our heart. The brain has pathways to our heart. Did you know that the brain physically consists of neural pathways? Pathways that, that are shaped in our brain that the more we think about something, the more we, we care about something, the more we do something, it literally creates these grooves in our brain. And the deeper the, the pathway is in our brain, the more likely we are to go back to it and to go back to it and to go back to it. It's like a pathway in the grass, right? You've probably seen these on campus where the sidewalk is right there, but if I just cut right there, then it's so much faster. And now there's a pathway walked out, and, and what does everybody do? Everybody just goes down the pathway. Like, you could go any other ways, but when there's a pathway laid out, we just naturally walk down that. It's the same thing with our minds. The more we think about it, the more we engage with something, we create these pathways that our actions in our heart naturally follow. They naturally follow, which is why Psalm 119 says if you want to keep your way pure, you've got to hide God's word in your heart. You've got to think about him. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this world. The more we think about God, we create these pathways of God, and we're going to follow after God. The more we think about and entertain these conversations and these temptations that are not of God, the more we're going to follow those. It starts here. What are you putting into your mind? Man, I know that the music and everybody's listening to it, but gosh, it pollutes. And it creates these pathways, right? Where things just become commonplace. Like that language is okay and how you treat people is okay because every pop artist sings about it. Every movie makes it so commonplace. 
And the more we put that in here, it creates these pathways away from God. We've got to fill our minds with the Word of God and create pathways towards Him to follow after Him. So what temptations do you need to flee from? What do you need to put into your mind to create new pathways? Started here for Eve. Started with her mind. And then the, the, the tempter gets Eve doubting God's goodness and believing that her way is better. Believing that she knows what is best. So he says in verse 4, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. I mean, underline that, highlight it, circle it, whatever you need to do. That is the heart of sin. You will be like God. Now, I know that we, like, we probably would not say like, oh yeah, I'm trying to be God. But anytime God says this and we say, no, no, I believe this, that is our attempts to be like God. It moves from an idea to idolatry. An idea of, okay, yeah, maybe God's not good to, okay, I believe that God's not good and I'm going to chase after that instead. That's the shift that he wants us to, get, to go from. From thinking to believing that our way is better, that I can be like God. And so he tempts her with that. He tempts her at the heart. You can do your own thing. You can be your own boss. You don't have to submit to God's authority. And then it says in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, up to that point, who said things were good? God. That was it. God created it, and it was good. God created it, and it was good. God created it, and it was good. Now Eve is like, time out. I got this. You don't need to say anymore what's good. I'm picking that. I'm going to do my own thing. She determined what was best for her. She determined what was good, and her heart connected to it and desired it. She wanted to have control of her own life. God, I, I don't need you. I can call my own shots. And once we're there, our hands will follow. Once we believe that we know best, we believe that God's, God's ways are not good, our, our hands will will follow. And that's what happened. She took and she ate. Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change, says, we sin because we believe the lie that we are better off without God, that his rule is oppressive, that we will be free without God, that sin offers more than God. The reason we sin is because we have come to believe that we know best, that doing our thing is better than doing God's. It's more enjoyable. It's more trustworthy. It's more lovely. Romans 1 says we've exchanged the worship of the creator for the created. We love ourselves and our ways more than him and his ways. It starts in the mind, moves to the heart, and moves to the hands. In what ways are you believing the lies about God? Do you believe that he's not good enough? And so you're chasing after other things that you think will satisfy your heart? Do you believe that he's not satisfying enough, that he's not, he, there's not enough joy in him alone, and so you're chasing after these relationships to satisfy you and to bring you joy, but they're not gonna? Do you believe that his ways are not good enough, and so you're chasing after your career and your dreams and your passions, not, not following his, not submitting to him? Do you find yourself believing that, that God and God alone is not good enough. You need something else. Do you find yourself believing that he's not in control? 
Like you can't actually rest and take a Sabbath because if you did that, then who would get everything done that needs to get it done? And so we're trying to play God by getting our hands around everything. Like, I got this, I got this, I got this. I know God says stop. I know God says to to spend time with him. I don't have time to spend time with him because I got to spend all my time here because I've got to be in control because God's not in control because that's the connection. Do you believe that his love for you, who he says you are is not enough and so you're trying to find your approval and your identity by what other people say of you? What your mom and dad may say of you, that they say you're proud of you? Is that the approval you're looking for? It's not bad, but it's also not enough. What are the lies that you find yourself believing about God that have you chasing after things that are not God? What are those lies? I think God's ways are good. Everything was good before this. His boundaries are good. They're for our good. Right? I tell my kids not to play in the street because I want them to live God tells us not to do things because he wants us to live and to live abundantly. He tells us to follow him because he wants us to have life. So what are the ways that you're believing God is not enough? So why are we, why are we talking about sin, right? Like we're a church plan. Are we supposed to be growing? Like sin's not a fun topic. And the reason is, is because it affects all of us and the results are devastating. Sin always has consequences. Always. There are always consequences to sin, and they're absolutely crushing and devastating. Here and here. So what are the, what are the consequences? The first one is, is brokenness within ourselves. Verse 7. She ate gave some to her husband, he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. This is their what have we done moment. This is that moment where their heart begins to race, the guilt crashes in, the shame floods, insecurity fills them right here because they walked away from what was good and secure and safe and they chased after something that was not. You ever felt insecure with other people? It starts right here. You ever felt manipulated or been the manipulator? Starts right here. You ever have conflict with with friends, with family? Starts right here. You ever have any type of of interpersonal turmoil or self-doubt or self-hate or loathing or I'm not good enough? Starts right here. The insecurity and the shame and the guilt and the hurt that we face in our lives, it starts right here because we are broken when we walk away from God. Their relationship with each other is broken. They used to stand with one another without shame and without without fear, and now they know that they are naked. They sewed fig leaves. They try to cover themselves up. We see over here in verse uh, 12 that when God comes up and is like, hey, Adam, what did you do? What does he do? He just throws his lady right down. He's like, hey, she did it, man. Mm -mm, Don't talk to me. Let me push her down so that I can stand in the background and be good, and you take it all out on her, right? What does she do? No, the, the serpent did it. It wasn't me. And so we start blaming other people and pushing other people down so that we can rise up. So the spotlight is maybe not so much on, on our flaws, but the spotlight's on their flaws. You, you, ever, you ever had someone talk about you behind your back? Starts right here at Genesis 3. Someone break your heart, abuse you verbally, physically? Starts right here. 
anyone ever not have your best interest in mind? Right here, Genesis chapter 3. Our relationships with one another are broken. We're selfish towards one another because of this. But worst of all, our relationship with God is broken. It says in in verse 8, God shows up to walk in the garden, apparently as a routine for God to walk with Adam and Eve. Come on, right? Like, he shows up to walk with them, and what do they do? Let's hide behind the tree. He won't see us here. Right? Like, let's hide from God because, because we're embarrassed and ashamed because we're guilty. So they used to walk with him, and now their, their presence is separated. Now their relationship is fractured and broken. They're trying to hide behind a tree. It's like when my two-year-olds would play hide-and-go-seek, and like half their body is out of the blankets, and they're like, God can't see me, right? If I just hide back here, like it's silly to try to hide from God because he sees everything. But we're not comfortable with him because he's holy And we know that we're not. And so our relationship with God, the very reason we're created first and foremost to walk with God is broken because of sin. Everything is broken and falls apart. These are the consequences of sin, the results of sin. And they tried to fix it themselves, right? They tried to cover themselves up. They tried to hide. They they, they tried to take matters in their own hands because that's what we do. Right? We try, we try to make ourselves right with God. If I just go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, if, I, if I'm nice to these people enough, if I go on this mission trip, like God's going to love me. And we try to make ourselves right before God. But you can't. We can't. We try to fix it and we can't. Y'all, this is our story. This is why it's so important. Because this is us. We've all walked away from God and chosen our own thing. We're broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. The image that God created us with is fractured. The suffering that we experience started here. And Romans 5 says we've all followed suit. The curse of sin has just been passed on from person to person. But the good news is that in this chapter, in the chapter where everything goes wrong, grace appears. Grace is present. Have you ever, have you ever thought about this first sin and thought, man, like if anybody's going to get it right, it's these two. Everything was perfect. They didn't have other people tempting them, like saying, hey, let's go this way. They hadn't tasted sin They didn't have the flavor of the fleeting pleasures of sin. They walked in the presence of God. Paradise, right? Everything was perfect. And yet they they still sinned? Like, come on. If anybody's going to get it right, it's these people, right? I say that just to say, and we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. If, we're le- if these people couldn't get it right, left on our own, we don't have a chance. Everything will be broken. But we're not left alone. Three places we see the grace of God show up in this chapter. Three places. The first one is in verse 15. So God begins to c- condemn and cast judgment. He starts with the serpent. He says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This verse right here, verse 15, it's a big one. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says at the very beginning, when sin breaks everything, he speaks to the devil, and he says, you may have won this one, but one day there's an offspring coming. There's a son coming who will absolutely crush your head. And the power that Satan has will be completely destroyed by this offspring that will come one day. And so in Genesis 3, 15, moments after sin enters the world, God speaks about Jesus who will come one day and will completely disarm the power of Satan. Where Adam and Eve, man, they gave in to temptation. Satan's going to come at Jesus, but he's not going to give in. He's going to perfectly obey where Adam and Eve and where you and I have fallen short, not Jesus. He's going to perfectly live in the image of God. And because he is that perfect image, because he is God in the flesh, he will crush Satan and completely remove his power over the world and over us. She t- God tells us in chapter 3 that a promise of a son is coming. And he's going to fix what we broke. So the first thing we see of the grace of God is the promise of the coming son. The second thing we see is his provision to cover our our guilt and our shame. So move over to verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Right, like they, they walk away from God and they bring guilt and shame into their life and they try to fix it themselves, right? Like let's get some leaves together and we'll cover our guilt and shame because that's what we want to do. We want to cover our guilt and shame. Like we don't want to feel this guilt and it's not good enough. Like it's incomplete. And so God comes in as the one who was sinned against, as the one who was violated. They haven't even, fi- they haven't done anything to make themselves right. All they've done is push each other down and defend themselves. And God comes in and through the death of another, he covers their guilt and their shame. The first time death enters the picture, he told us that sin is going to bring death. And the first death we see is the death of another. And it's in that death that God covers their guilt and their shame. He provides atonement, healing. And it's many years later that the death of another would provide the cover for our guilt and shame. That Jesus would die in our place while we were still sinners. Oh, we were actively in opposition to God, walking away from him. Jesus, the other, would die in our place so that by faith our guilt and our shame could be covered by him. The grace of God appears through the death of another. And the last place we see grace is in the removal of his presence. So verse 22 The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He physically removed Adam and Eve from his presence. And for a long time, I was like, I don't, I don't fully get this. And so I would just read it and move on because um, it's harder to figure out what God is actually saying here. Um, and, then, and then Stephanie, uh, she enlightened me to what was happening here. And so we're created to live with God forever. And, and if Adam and Eve would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived 
forever. But see, the problem is they had now known evil. Sin was in their life. And so they would have lived forever separated from God because of the sin that was in their life. That sin has to be removed in order for them to be in a relationship again. And so God knows if they stay here, they're going to eat of that tree and they're forever going to live sinful, broken, separated from me. And so he disciplines them and sends them out because in the pain we look for a remedy. And the remedy is that God is going to fix what we broke in Jesus. And so God removes them in order to make room for the remedy, Jesus, to come in between and to reconcile them back to God. It's his holiness and justice that removes them from his presence because that is the way back to life. I mean, we're broken just like this. And we're trying to make decisions on what we think is good. And we're chasing after things other than God. And they always leave us broken. They're never going to satisfy. And we're looking to get back to the tree of life. That's the goal. How do we get back to life with God? And the only way back to the tree of life is through the tree of the cross. It's only through the cross that we can get back to God. And so we see the grace of God here in Genesis 3 where God is working to fix what they broke. And the same grace is here today where God is working to fix what we broke. And where we chose the tree of selfishness, Jesus chose the tree of humility. And on the cross, he makes a way for our sins to be forgiven, to be covered and made right again. And because he rose from the dead, he offers us a new life. We don't have to give in to sin anymore because the spirit of the living God lives in us. The same power that Jesus had to say no, we can say no because of him in us. Everything broke, but God moved in to fix what we broke. He shifted the story that we can live with him forever. Do you know Christ? Have you received this, this life? All of our attempts to clean up ourselves and to fix it on our own, they're going to fall short. We have to have God come in and provide for us through the death of another and to give us life through the power of Jesus who lives today. Do you know this Christ? And if you're following him, he's better. Done. Period. Measure it next to Jesus and Jesus wins. He's better. We've got to trust that. We've got to trust it and walk away in the power of Jesus from the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and beginner of our faith, the completer of our faith. And for the joy, the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, giving us freedom in him alone. Would you pray with me? And I just want to invite you um, to respond to God's word. However God is speaking to you, I believe that he is speaking. Um, Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. I believe that he is speaking today. And so would you just... Uh, Take a moment and listen for what God may be saying. And then we're going to have a time to respond to whatever he's calling you to do in just a minute.
Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.